Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today on the show, we have Danny Goldberg. Danny is the founder and owner of Gold SRD, the gold standard in staff augmentation, executive recruiting, and professional development. Danny has also authored multiple books, his most recent one being People-Centric Skills, Interpersonal, and Communication Skills for Financial Professionals. So we put a link in the show notes for that, so be sure to check that out. If you've ever attended a training session with your local IIA chapter, then you probably know who Danny is. He's a pretty prolific uh, speaker on the IIA trail. And Danny joins the show to discuss the positive influence emotional intelligence can have within internal audit, how agile can be used as an effective communication tool, and how hot yoga has changed Danny's life for the better. Also, be sure to connect with Danny on LinkedIn. Here we go. What I am interested in talking about is you being a communication person, and we've all been remote for an extended period of time, and how that's going to affect communication once we go back. I mean, there just seems like so many scenarios of I'm going to be remote, my person, you know, maybe my client's on site, am I supposed to go there? Just that in general, what are your thoughts on communication maybe going forward as we start to move back to the office or as we continue to stay remote? You know, I had lunch with somebody today where we talked about just the, the simpleness of communication, the simplest of just reaching out and, and saying, hey, I can't do this. Um, I've had a contractor issue where uh, we had issues with our bathroom since March. I've had seven contractors out. I've gotten one proposal. The other six just go black on me completely. I had a plumber today that was supposed to be there between noon and six. I'm at yoga class. They call at 9.55 and say, we'll be there in 15 minutes. I missed them. Uh, I called them back and I, I said, you know, you said noon and six. I said, well, there must've been a miscommunication. I said, there was no miscommunication. You said noon and six. Yeah. Well, he got done early. It's like, oh, okay. You know, it's just the simplest thing of communication seems to be very difficult at times where that's one thing, you know, I talk to my son about soccer all the time. I said, you know, you might not play perfect all the time, but the one thing you can control is your effort. Mm -hmm. The one thing everybody can control is the level of communication they give to other people. And if you're able to communicate at a reasonable level, I think I'm going to directly correlate with that, with just general success, quite frankly, because if you do the things that you're supposed to do that, that you would want other people to do, um, the simplest things, returning calls. Um, uh, if you say you're going to do something, uh, reach out uh, in that timeline. Um, it's always helpful. I think the pandemic drove a lot of good habits, but it's also driven a lot of bad habits too. Um, I think there's been a, 
I'm not going to use the right term. It's going to be almost uh, very derogatory. It's like a, a laziness to communication. I, I can't think of the, the best term, but I think there's, uh, we've gotten into a steady state where at the beginning, I think we were communicating much, much more. Meaning people, when they weren't seeing each other every day, realized, hey, I've got to connect with people. Because the only thing connecting me uh, or connecting my employees to this company might be me. And it might be just a, a quick Zoom call. So I've got to communicate more often. But I think we've almost gotten into, again, that steady state where uh, it's almost laissez-faire, kind of lazy communication where people aren't, aren't communicating effectively or as often. I do worry about when we get back into the workplace, is there just a, and am I going to say this, a general fear of in-person communication, you know, a general hesitation uh, to that, which uh, from an auditor standpoint, I think that's, that's a big concern because we're, we can't establish those good relationships with people unless we're able to uh, communicate well and communicate to me in person that, you know, Zoom does a lot of good things. Um, you can simulate, when I talk about training, I always tell people, we're going to simulate the live environment. I'd say pretty close to the live environment. It's not the same though. Yeah. And, and in person, that uh, ability to read someone's body language, to see them, to see those micro expressions where you can't see on Zoom is a, it's a huge advantage. So it's going to be interesting to see how that change is moving forward. Is there a hesitation to come to the office? Is there a hesitation to communicate in person? And uh, do we not communicate certain things like our status and we make assumptions because we don't want to communicate in person? Yeah, that's a good point that I hadn't thought of is... Like when you said fear, I wasn't real sure what you meant, uh, the fear of communication, because I thought it maybe was uh, the way I started to think about it in my head was when we all went remote and we all had to start start using Zoom, there was probably like a fear, maybe just because it's like a new technology for a lot of people. And how does the, you know, even the, um, are you supposed to wave at the end of this? Am I supposed to have my camera, you know, the rules and things like that. And so maybe there's like this fear of um, not knowing almost how to interact with people again. But I see what you're saying, uh, maybe the fear in uh, losing the communication because it's so much easier. Uh, we've been doing it like this, like, let's just keep doing this, even if you are on site. So that that makes a, a lot more sense to me. I've had a lot of um, companies, uh, some of my friends, some of my clients tell me that even in the office, they're using Zoom from their office. Mm -hmm. I mean, aren't we defeating the purpose? Hell, I, I am, I, I'm guilty of it too. I've got a client up the street and, uh, you know, they asked me, we're doing a few meetings, some follow-ups. And the first thing I ask is, you want me there in person or not? And I'm thinking in my head, man, I would love to just sit at my desk. Mm -hmm. minute drive at most, but I got to get dressed. Yeah. <laughs> I got to shave, et cetera. There's something that comes to that. Again, I realize the importance, but we've got to watch out for that, you know, stagnation of, uh, of the workplace. And again, that, quite frankly, that people have gotten very content in their houses. I am not one of those people. Uh, I don't want to be in my house as much, but and I think there's a lot of us like that, but I think we are turning um, introverts into uh, viciously leaning introverts and not wanting to leave the house. So again, we almost forget how to communicate in person. Yeah, that's a good point. I think one of the first messages, or maybe it was like a comment on LinkedIn or something, um, is how I kind of got got in your circle and got to know you, at least from that you know perspective. I think you had done like, five years. I forget the math now. Um, you did yoga like every day for five or, or the amount of hours that you did yeah. you posted about it. And I did the math and I was like, 
he did on average, like, I don't know, 45, 60 minutes a day for like five years straight or something like, is that right? It's not that bad because, but I would say for about eight years now, I'm up to 1,250 classes and 1,250 classes per hour. So that's 1,250 hours over eight years. So that's about 150 hours a year. And if you take into account that I was traveling at least 170, 200 nights a year, so you're thinking, and every day I'm in town, I do yoga. And, you know, that's something I missed during the pandemic is I, it took me a few months to figure this out, but I was home with my kids, which was great but I had no alone time and the uh, yoga was my uh, peace of mind time. And I think that's what people were missing um, over these past year, year and a half that um, we haven't had. So when the yoga uh, studio closed, I didn't have any of that anymore. And that kind of drove me um, a little nuts. So I've made an effort over the past six months to not only go to yoga, but have that, have that time to myself before my kids get home every day and uh, we're focused on them. Yeah. Are you doing, um, and it might've, I might've mentioned even Peloton to you. I can't recall now Are, you're doing online stuff now or like, how, how did you, how did you do it? So, so uh, in last May, the yoga studio moved back up and back uh, open up. Okay. And so ever since then, I, you know, I, I go, like I said, if, if I go as often as I can, um, it might be every day. It might be uh, unless I have classes. So, and uh, it's hot yoga. So um, uh, the heat, uh, again, it's mentally stimulating for me and I can't take my phone in there. Nice. And so you really do just focus on you and your thoughts in the class. And it's, it's peaceful. It's a great way. We talk about our emotional intelligence class. You know, you've got to have those outlets. Another topic I want to get your thoughts on and it's everywhere is agile. We've had a few folks on talk about it. Um, people that I would consider agile experts. Interested to hear your thoughts though. Is it crap? Is it uh, legitimate? Do you see it being like the new standard going forward or is it a, what, a fad? So, so we, we've had some good exposure to Agile over the past um, three years. We've helped uh, a, one company, actually, I'm going to go with three companies do uh, some semblance of Agile White. Mm -hmm. And uh, your, your book comment's interesting because I was actually co-authoring a book on this. And um, I was not the lead. I wrote my book on communication skills at the same time. And uh, we had, honestly, artistic differences, uh, um, theoretical differences, and I decided to go a different route. Um, and I'm sure the book's going to be great, um, and, and I'm sure it is, but uh, it wasn't something I, I, I wanted to move forward with. And one of the reasons why is I think we forget the term agile means flexible. And there's a, seems to be a lot of people out there that believe that you have to do agile. You have to do the full spectrum of scrum. You've got to do all of agile and change your audit methodology where, I mean, I just vehemently disagree with that. I don't know if uh, you've gotten that feedback um, from others, but um, I know some of the large consulting firms, the feedback I've gotten and the reasons we want some contracts was because we were very flexible with our approach. Um, we kind of come in and do a, I'm going to call it just an agile assessment. Um, I, we did a class a few weeks ago at a company in the Midwest and they're not going to do agile, but they wanted to, to really understand what can we do now that's going to help our methodology, but not change, you know, not do 180 degree turn. Yeah. And one of the key aspects was their IT department is doing IT um, agile project management. And I said, look, this would be a great opportunity to, to really mirror their process to an extent so if you're gonna do this let's do it on the it side so my, my point by saying that is i think everybody's got to take a step and do a step back and do an agile assessment 
and really understand um, what can we do that's agile right now. And I think it's based on the company culture. It's based on the um, audit methodology. It's based on the experience and know-how of the team. Um, and it's, it, man, I might even toss in your uh, audit um, software as well. I mean, there are so many variables here that I think when I first looked at agile, you know, it's trying, I don't know if you felt this way, but when I start hearing about it, I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what it was, but I went and you know, did a little research and I'm like, this is good internal auditing. That's all it is. It's really, really good uh, leading practices in internal auditing. It's, and I'm a big proponent of project management. My, one of my most popular courses is project management for internal auditors. And I thought if this is great project management, good project managers, regardless if they're doing waterfall or agile are doing a lot of these things, no matter what, if you look at the pr core principles. Yeah. So I don't think it's crap, but I also think that if someone tries to sell you without understanding your environment and your internal audit shop, that you need to do full scrum and rewrite your methodology, that they are trying to sell you something you don't need. Yeah. I think that you've really got to do that step back and take it and do an analysis of where you're at and where you want to go. I had one client a couple of years ago, they wanted to do, they weren't a client, there were some people in my class and um, the staff were telling me that they were doing full agile auditing and they were in an audit one-on-one class and their whole staff uh, of, I think five or six uh, internal audit staff had no experience whatsoever. How are you going to empower teams yeah. when you have no experience? I mean, again, that doesn't, that's where you've got to, it's an amoeba. I think you've got to, you got to make it fit uh, to your current uh, environments. And I don't think uh, people think like that enough at times. Yeah. So I got a, a comment and then a, a follow-up question. You're talking about it being just like good project management or good internal auditing. Um, Norman Mark's book, Auditing That Matters or Auditing What Matters, I forget. I think it's That's Matters, which was written years ago, um, talked about, you know, identifying the highest risk area or auditing the highest risk area. And then within that, auditing the highest risk area within that. So you're not looking at um, payroll is always an example and payroll's high risk for whatever reason. And so we're going to look at everything in payroll, but it's yeah. like, well, yeah, but what about you're looking at this dumb little thing in payroll that doesn't really matter. And, you know, and so that's what he was talking about. Um, and so when I talk to teams about agile, they talk about that approach also. And it's like, uh, Norman was doing that like 30 years ago. Uh, <laughs> it's good auditing, man. I mean, yeah. I, again, I, I love the example of payroll because everybody can understand it. But if your payroll is high risk, we got a lot of other issues at the first place. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying yeah. is most of the time when I talk about risk-based auditing, uh, you know, the first thing they say is, well, yeah, we, we do it in a risk assessment at the beginning of the year. It's not what we're talking about is once you do that risk assessment and once you identify your auditable units, let's cut it down from there and then let's cut it down further and, and figure out what we're going to test. And let's make sure we're focusing on those controls or risks that are most important. I think what drives some of that too, when you look at companies, RCMs or internal audits, RCMs, it always starts on the left column with risk. What's the risk? Shouldn't it start with what the business objective is? Mm -hmm. You really don't understand what the risk is until you understand the business objective. So again, I think that linkage is somewhere probably years ago, it's been dropped off, but I think it's a healthy reminder. We have five business objectives. Let's say this, uh, let's, let's ask this question. Are all the business objectives important? I mean, do we really need to focus on all five or six or are there four that's more important? Are there three we're going to focus on? So I think there's a disconnect there that kind of furthers this, this problem. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, hopefully, people that are getting into agile because 
if they feel like they need to, to, to stay up to date or, or whatever, or because, well, that's just what we're supposed to do now that the switch in some ways does lead to just better overall audio, yeah. you know? And I think the pandemic too, the daily standups drove, mm-hmm. that's one aspect of agile that came to light that people love. We want to make sure that we're connecting on a day-to-day basis. Let's do those daily standups. And I think that's, I think the industry's trended towards agile, but now I think that furthered that trend a little bit more. Yeah. Um, that, and I know the, the constant communication with the client or auditee or however you refer to them, it's something that they've appreciated also. They, yeah. That's what I've heard is like the clients love it. Um, but going back to that, I mean, Trent, any good audit shops constantly communicating all the time. I have always gotten really negative pushback. It's eased off over the past few years, but in a class I did, it was called Audit 2020, where it's just bringing, I was kind of trying to challenge the way audit is looked at is um, when we build our uh, audit test steps, our risk matrix, our audit work program, whatever you want to call it, before you test, do you give it to your client? And I had so many people push back on me saying, you can't do that. That is our proprietary information. No, it's not. That's testing what they're doing. It's nothing proprietary. If they've been audited before, they know exactly how they're going to test. But if you give it to them, isn't going to help us build that trust and bond that we need to be successful. Um, uh, To me, again, that constant communication is just part of good auditing, part of good, being a good person, being a good communicator, being a good business development person, salesperson, whatever it is, being a good father. It's just part of being good. The, you were talking about the, you guys do a pre-assessment. Could you walk me through that process a little bit about how you do that? It's very similar to uh, if we were going to do like, uh, we, we do assistance and help out with enterprise risk assessments. It would be doing some interviews, um, asking a lot of follow-up questions. And the categories are um, culture, um, uh, maturity of uh, internal audit methodology, and then your uh, team uh, looking at their skill set, et cetera. You kind of look at all three facets and do a little scoring system based on that. Um, but a lot of times from what I've, what I've seen is uh, when the internal audit group is not, they're not vetting out with the business how comfortable they are with this change. And I think that's probably the biggest issue. I was talking about a company I met with a couple of weeks ago. They weren't going to switch. And the reason is, is they are a very mature industry, very mature um, organization. And yes, their IT auditing is doing um, Scrum now, but uh, their process works well. And they're, um, we were talking about report writing. Their uh, reports uh, go to the audit committee and the audit committee reads every report front to back. I don't, I don't think it's unheard of, but it's rare to hear that because of what your audit committee wants. You give the audit committee yeah. what they want at times. So I think you've got to adjust the framework to, to what, what your constituents want. And so a lot of that, a lot of the assessment is driven by that is how accepting are people going to be of this? Because the last thing you want to do is try to force a change down someone's throat when, when it's not necessary. Is there, is it like a, a, let's say you go in and do this assessment. Is there like a big red flag where if maybe the answer to a question or, or whatever it is that depending on what that is, you could not immediately, but you know, pretty much immediately go, this probably isn't, probably isn't the best for you. Or uh, like, is there something that we could keep an eye out for? Yeah. yeah the, to that? the underlying issue is, to me, an internal audit department has to be readily accepted. And uh, if you looked at the uh, internal audit maturity scale where um, audit is getting a lot of incoming calls and uh, 
they're a part of the DNA of the organization versus looked at the as of the outlier. That's what the opportunity where you can where you can have to really do a lot of agile and change your methodology. But if you're still struggling to connect and build trust with your clients, to change your methodology to that point, even if the methodology is built to build trust, mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of to me that's that red flag right away where we're trying to do too much too soon. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. All right. I know you've hit on emotional intelligence a couple different times. Um, I know it's a theme of your most recent book. And so could you, what aside from that, or maybe within the emotional intelligence um, category, what, what are some of the bigger takeaways from the book? Without giving away too much, because look, if you haven't read it, go go read it. This you know, but it's a story. It's a storybook based on the first book uh, Manny Rosenfeld and I wrote was uh, People Centric Skills uh, First Edition. That was back in fourteen, and it, I have been accused of for multiple reasons being an egomaniac, or my my daughter calls me a narcissist too, um, because the book is written based on a character design, you know, based on me, mm -hmm. and that was Manny's idea. I really didn't like the idea. But he said, you've got a platform, let's use it. And uh, it makes sense. And so we wrote a book that was fictional stories, but every fictional story trend, as you know, is basically true, but with changing the names a little bit in the organizations. Same with the second book. These are real, real world situations that I think most of us have been in that can be very relatable. Emotional intelligence, as I get older, has become more and more important to every facet of my life when um, I am raising my daughter. Um, she's 12. I've got three brothers and I've got a son and I've been around men my whole life. And I've realized how detached emotionally I am to pretty much anything and everything. And so uh, to be able to relate to other people, to understand other people's perspectives, not just to say, you know, I know how you feel, but really truly understand what their, what their plight is. A couple of weeks ago, somebody asked me, it was, uh, it was in a, um, senior auditor bootcamp, how do I motivate people that don't seem like they want to work, that don't want to be there? And uh, let me ask you, let me ask you the same question. How would you motivate somebody that's unmotivatable? Which was the first thing you would do? Certainly not compensation. Uh, I would ask them why. So, so, you know, glad we think alike, because the first thing I asked her is, have you asked them what motivates them? You know, what, why do they work? And a lot of people would say, well, because they got to get paid. It's like, no, that's actually, I would say a good amount of people, but a lot of people work because they get some intangible or intrinsic value in addition to pay. If I just, you know, I love what I do, what I do, you know, people say you, 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 you come off as someone that loves what they do so much that you do it for free. Well, I'm not going to probably do it for free, but I will, I, I truly do love what I do. Um, and I, and I get a lot out of it um, mentally as well. Um, you've got to understand why someone's works in, in order to really, really motivate them. And the story uh, in the book that, that I relay is 
I actually use a couple other characters, but it's a true story of, of me and my son. And uh, this was five, six years ago. So I'll probably get criticized because my son was eight, but he plays very high level soccer. Uh, he plays in the uh, one of the top leagues, one of top two leagues in the United States. And uh, he's very good. He played a game uh, This is uh, in the summer of five years ago. So 16. And uh, I used to rate him on a one to 10. He always wanted a rating, 10 being the best. He got in the car. He knew he didn't play good. And um, he said, how did I do? And I said, do you really want to know? He should have known right then and there. That's probably not a great conversation. So I was honest with him. I am not one of those parents. I do not believe in this. And when I talk about coaching and mentoring, I don't believe in, in giving people uh, false feedback. Yeah. Give them constructive feedback. So mine wasn't as constructive as it should have been because it was a little emotional. Yeah. I told him he's uh, playing center mid at the time. I said, Caleb, you didn't do anything bad. You didn't do anything good. I didn't know when you're on the field sometimes. You just didn't do much. And as a center mid, that's it's a very negative, negative uh, assessment. So uh, me and my son, uh, we get along great, but we also have a lot of passion towards each other. And we were yelling and screaming at each other. He probably hit me a couple of times too. Um, it was not a healthy conversation until I got rooted into, he, he told me why he played. And this worried me. He said, I promise dad, I will do better for you. And right then and there, uh, trying to shut down the conversation, I said, you don't play for me. You play for your teammates. You play for yourself. You play because you love it. And if you're playing for me, then we need to take a step back. I apologize. I, I'm sorry you play for me. Then we need to look at um, maybe playing at a different level because you shouldn't be playing for me. And again, he has gotten to a point where I don't really have to tell him much. Um, he's 14 now. This weekend, he had an okay game. You know, on a 1-10, to it wasn't his greatest game, but he was, he was pretty good. Um, at, at halftime, he came over to me and said, I played, I played like crap. I didn't play good. So I don't have to say anything to him, I, but I think that milestone was a big growth opportunity. If you give people, if you tell people they want what they want to hear, that shows, uh, that shows you don't care. If you tell people what they need to hear, that shows you truly are invested as the, in them as a, as a person and as an employee. And I think being emotionally intelligent, you've got to understand that and understand how to tactfully, directly message appropriately. I struggle uh, almost with the, um, this thing of if I'm working with a coach or a mentor and it's just, it's like nothing but good stuff or it's like, yeah, that's okay. I'm like, no, it's like, you got to tell me when it like, I would, I would rather, I don't even care if it's constructive. Like I would rather, I would get more benefit out of going to sit down with a coach or a mentor and them going, you did this wrong. You did this wrong. You did this wrong. There's no excuse for this. How are you going to fix it instead of, well, it's okay. You know, that, you know, that happens sometimes, you know, yeah. and that's always worked better for me. The, the best thing that ever happened to me was I got a, on a scale of one to five uh, when I was in public accounting where a three is like really actually good. And a four is like, fantastic yeah. and a five is like well nobody really gets so so like don't even, you know i got a two and i was like holy shit and it was the first one i ever had and i was like i gotta like pick this up and if if i would have just gotten a three like everybody else does in that you know first year like you know everybody gets a three um you know i probably would have half-assed it a little bit yeah. a little bit more a little bit longer until somebody finally would come up and be like Dude, you're a, you're a, you're a two we're just giving you three because yeah we don't really have to deal with yeah. taking you from a two to a three. And it was the best thing that, that probably could have happened for me. I got two, two like stories for you. 
Uh, I was at Arthur Anderson. I was in St. Charles for uh, two weeks. And if you've ever been to St. Charles, those of you listening in um, can relate to this. I drank for 10 days. Basically, <laughs> I was 21, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I probably didn't put my best foot forward in the training, but it was like auditing cash. It was easy stuff. So I was half asleep, half sick half the time. And at the end of the class, two weeks, nice manager. I don't remember her name, but I remember the conversation vividly. She said, look, you seem like a nice guy. You seem very intelligent, but auditing is not for you. You should get out of this profession as quick as possible. And I kind of always keep that in my back pocket as a motivator because, um, well, I think she was wrong. I understood why she said it, but I obviously thought she was wrong. And if you guys, if anybody reads the book, there's going to be a character um, in the book named Brad, and that's a real person. Um, it's a good friend of mine. He was my, uh, he wasn't my first senior at Arthur Anderson, but he was probably the most important senior I had. Um, I went to work on his job and he told me, look, I'm pretty simple. Um, if you work hard, do what you're supposed to listen, learn, and give me air, the best effort you can, um, you're going to go, you're going to go far and I'll make sure of it. If you're lazy, if you don't ask questions, if you don't try, I will make sure that you are out of here as quick as possible and I'll give you the worst review possible. And people think that's so harsh. He's a good friend of mine still. Um, he's a CFO at a company on the West Coast. People think it's harsh. People said he had no emotional intelligence. I actually thought that showed a lot of emotional intelligence. Why? Because we have this conversation in our staff and senior classes all the time. Nobody really says, if you want to be successful, do this. Mm -hmm. And I thought in public accounting, I, you know, there's good and bad to public accounting, but I thought in public accounting, they did a pretty good job of, Hey, if you do these things, you're going to be successful. If you don't, you won't. And that's what I liked about this. He gave me a clear pathway to success where uh, when I asked that question to seniors and stuff, have you asked, or have you been told, here's what you need to do to be successful? Nobody has that conversation. I kind of get a, a funny look and say, well, I know my job description. It's not what I'm talking about is what do I really need to do to be successful? So I love that. It's one of the reasons why we've stayed friends for 25 years, quite frankly, because I've looked up to him um, for years just for that conversation and the way he leads. He's a little direct. He's a little harsh at times. And he's, he's actually grown quite a bit from that. Uh, but I, I, again, it was one of those conversations that was integral to my personal development. Well, something else from the book, uh, you talk about engaging an audience. And as someone that that does what you do, you kind of have to engage an audience. So I feel like it, you are the perfect person to ask. And I think it's relevant in, in the profession. You know, obviously, if you're talking to the board or the audit committee or something like that, you, you want to engage the audience. But even then, if you're sitting around the table at a kickoff meeting, you still need to be able to do that. In your 15 years of doing this, what have you learned how to, how have you learned, maybe, what have you learned in engaging an audience? How can we better engage whoever the audience is? I remember one of the reasons why I got into this and I'm, I'm not going to give too much because I, I don't want to talk negatively about anybody, but I was in a class, a big class um, of a well-known organization doing some training. And the person came in first day, first 10 minutes and said, this is not my normal class. Um, I've been asked to uh, sub as an instructor. I know nothing on the topic and I'm going to learn with you guys. And right then and there, I was probably what, 28, six, seven years out. I just gotten my first, I was 29, first um, uh, chief auditor role, if I'm not mistaken. And I almost started laughing with that uh, introduction. And I was out of there within two hours. I was like, I'm going to ask for a refund. It's a waste of time. She lost me right away. Then 
um, being involved in the Dallas chapter for years, we bring in a lot of great speakers. And uh, Steve Geppert, who's a, a friend of mine, do you know Steve? Mm-hmm. Um, he was the head of audit at United for many, many years. Just, yeah. a, just a fantastic person, fantastic human being. Um, I saw him speak and uh, Steve has this self-deprecating way of engaging people. Like, you know, hey, you know, because I'm this, you're the, you know, you can be this. Yeah. And it was just, it was so enlightening to see. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I can, I can do something like this. And I always kind of took what he did to an extent and, and, and put my own spin on it. And I would say, if you really want to truly engage people, um, get to know them a little bit, um, know their names, personalize the experience as much as possible. I'm really good with names. And I thought during the pandemic, I kind of lost it a little bit, but I was in Houston. There was a 40 person room and I had in two hours had all their names down very easily. Um, that's, I'm very lucky in that regard on zoom. It's easy. You got people's names right there. Right there. <laughs> so it's all you got to do is continue to use people's names, personalize it. And to a point where if you're in introductions and the instructor, if it's a group of 30 or 40, is taking notes, that's a good sign because that means they are trying to remember certain aspects about you. Yeah. The company, so maybe something on a personal level that they can come back to because you've got to make it as relatable as possible. Zoom can be engaging. Zoom, people can easily just detach completely. And uh, that's why you've got to make sure that you are not only connecting with the group, but trying to call on each person. So I think the more you personalize, the better. The more you have fun with it, the better. Um, <laughs> I like to talk about the movie Roadhouse. Uh, that's are you a fan of Roadhouse? Yeah. I love that movie. I mean, actually, when I watch it now, the first forty-five minutes is awesome. The last forty-five minutes, it's like, all right, it's yeah, not as yeah. good. But that scene where he's talking to all the other bouncers as the head cooler, and he says, um, uh, "They keep asking when do we when do we fight," and he keeps on saying, "Do you know what he says?" He always says over and over, "Be nice." nice and i'll tell you when when not to be nice the whole theory on auditing is be nice people that like you will help you Mm -hmm. people that like you and want to hear from you will listen to you if you're not likable if you don't look like uh you want to be there if you don't look i don't know engaging happy people won't listen to you it's as simple as that and so you know again it's that it's that be happy that you have this opportunity be energetic be engaging be inviting um, and I think you'll be able to get people, regardless of a 40-person room or a five-person room, to engage with you on a high level. Yeah, and being likable isn't necessarily about being charismatic. Like, there's not a ton of charismatic folks in the profession. I think we're, we uh, probably all admit that. Um, I take offense to that, by the way. Do what? I take offense to that. <laughs> I said not all, all of us. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But like, so you don't have to be a Danny Goldberg personality to be likable in the profession or, or anywhere what I've found to be very true is if you are genuinely interested in what's going on and ask questions, then it comes off. Like, I mean, there's a friend of mine who is, I mean, social anxiety, can't go into a room more than 10 people, you know, can only stay in there for like 30 seconds and he has to get out. And if you just met him, you would think, you know, uh, head case, you know, in that situation, but like, he is the, one of the most interesting people I know. And he just asks questions, like whatever it is, you know, you're an internal audit. What does internal audit do? Like, what do you actually do? You know, and, and ask questions. Yeah. Um, and because of that, like he's extremely likable, but yeah. if you just kind of looking, you know, from the outside in, maybe you would go, man, that guy's 
kind of a, you know, maybe a nutbag at best. Um, so yeah, I agree. I would say if you care about the thing, yes, um, you're going to be likable. So you don't have to be a, a Danny Goldberg. It, it's possible with anybody. And you know what I've told people is anybody, anybody with any personality can present effectively, but you've got to be genuine. You've got to be yourself. If you're an introvert that not, are not very funny, but you're serious, people will respect that if you know your topic, if you are genuinely interested in your topic and convey that interest. You don't have to be, to your point, you don't have to be charismatic. It helps a lot, but you can still be a very effective presenter in many different um, opportunities or avenues um, if you're yourself and you stay true to your personality. That's That's been always my theory. Do you know how Garen? Um, yeah, I do. He, he's been talking about lately... And by lately, I mean for months and months and months. Chief audit executive, there's too many audit folks that are CAEs and not enough executives that are CAEs. Yeah, I would agree with that. And so I think my question might be, at least for this first one, is, um, I don't know, advice for people that are 2A in the CAE and then maybe advice for people that are that don't have maybe the audit background. I don't know. Is it, do you see a lot of those? You do, you know, I've seen a lot of large companies, the, the CAA role is, is somebody without any audit background. And I think in both situations, I think an open-mindedness and willingness to learn is, is, is very key because you're going into unfamiliar territory. And I'm going to go back to the conversation we had earlier on um, expectations. Uh, first thing I did, and I was a chief auditor at a company called Tyler Technologies, um, great company. Uh, when I was 29, so 17 years ago, we started the internal audit department. I asked the audit committee chair, what do you want? What are you looking for? Uh, until you understand what people are looking for, how can I provide uh, virtually anything? Now, growing into that executive presence, that's a, that was a whole different thing that took, um, I'd say, uh, a couple of years. But um, it, it's, I, I wouldn't say that I, I, can, I, I can really pinpoint uh, one moment that, hey, I, I knew I was at arrived kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It was more I was feeling things out and figuring things out. And once I got comfortable with the topic, which I was there to do a lot of socks work and oversee it, um, I think I showed my competency and people accepted me at, um, to a certain extent at that level. But uh, did I ever feel like an executive trend? I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I can answer that. I think that's that's something that I think we all tend to grow into at, uh, at uh, different rates. Yeah. And it probably something that you don't wake up one day and go, now I'm an executive, you yeah. know, just that, how, for whatever reason it dawns on you. Yeah, no, I, look, I, I mean, I, I get to speak in front of thousands of people and, um, and I'm pretty good at it. And did I ever go to a class? I read a book for about 10 minutes, then I put it down. I never went to a class. It just felt natural to me. So it's one of those things where I think you, you eventually get to a point where it's just, it's, it just becomes you, that you get to a point where you're so confident in your message that um, you extol that confidence. And to me, that's a big part of being uh, that executive. Yeah, that was, uh, it reminds me, and it's comforting to know, uh, I'm on year two of, um, I'm on the finance and audit committee for the Goodwill of Alabama. And the first year, I don't think I said more than like two words in a meeting. Like yeah. I was just like, I was like, I don't know what is going on. I was like, you guys know, I'm not like a financial person, right? Like I'm a IT auditor uh, and then analytics. Like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. I didn't tell them that, you know, but like it eventually got to the point where I did. Uh, they asked me to chair it uh, this year. And I was like, let me, I don't know most of what you're talking about. I just try to ask questions. 
uh, you know, and things like that. And so it took a better part of like a year uh, to finally be comfortable in that. And it, it actually, my, my moment was like, I asked a, a good question to where they're like, you know, we hadn't really thought about that. Let me, we should, we should discuss that. And like, we got off the call and I looked at my wife and I was like, I did something, you know, like, I was like, I did it. I did something. Yeah. Uh, and that was my moment, but yeah, just kind of, it took time. Yeah. Um, I, you kind of feel out where, uh, where you can contribute the most. And, you know, as an audit, a CAE, I think it's fair to say that the, the, I'm going to compare Judaism to auditing. I've never done this before. So let's see how it works. The, uh, my son is in public school and the lack of knowledge of Judaism is eye-opening because it was the same when I was in public school. I think it's the same now that people just don't understand what it means, uh, what the holidays are, et cetera. I think in an organization, not many people actually understand what internal audit does still. Um, again, that's, that's dependent on the organization. But if you go into a, a small, if you go into any private company or a small public company, it's, there's a misunderstanding of what it is. It's either uh, you guys are the external people um, checking things out or you're the SOX people, mm -hmm. which again, are both, uh, both theories are wrong. So I think once you kind of figure out what they're looking for and help define what internal audit is, I think you can grow that role, um, I would hope significantly. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really just asking those questions to your point and, um, and explaining here's what we're here to do, do versus um, really... Uh, clearing up their preconceived views and notions. Perfect. All right. We got a couple minutes left. I'm going to go say, I'll say something to the effect of, <clears throat> is there anything you want to leave the audience with? And that's where you can go buy my book. This is what I'm speaking. I'm doing this thing, or this is the latest and greatest or, or whatever you have coming up. And we'll probably do yours. We've got somebody tomorrow, somebody for next week. So you'll be the week after that. If you want to kind of keep that in mind. Sounds good. You'll send me some uh, information so I can post it on my LinkedIn, et cetera. Yeah. So I'll do, uh, we'll do a video and um, I'll tag you in that video. So it'll be like a 30, 45 second video. Um, we might also run the quote through my LinkedIn. Uh, we've only done that once because the video was so awful last week, but it did pretty well. So I think those are doing better. Like the images are doing better on LinkedIn right now than sure. videos are. Um, so we might do that, but either way, I'll, I'll, I'll tag you in the post and then I'll email you and let you know that it's gone out and uh, a link to the YouTube uh, video. Cause we'll do, uh, we'll put it on there also. And you can, whatever you want to put that on your website or I don't care Perfect. what you do with it. It's, it's really Perfect. for you to, um, but yeah, I'll give you, a, I'll give you that the heads up. Perfect. So you'll see it. And it's totally up to you I, to whatever degree you want to, I've had, I've only had one person not touch it at all. And sometimes people hit the like, and sometimes people like it, share it, answer every comment that every person has, you know, that, that adds to it. Uh, but it's totally up to you and, and uh, whatever you want to do with it. But anyway, um, all right. So we've talked agile, we've talked communication, um, talked about your book, talked about uh, Judaism, even there, yoga. We, we've covered um, a lot of topics. Is there anything else that you would want to leave the audience with? Um, I want to leave, I'll leave you guys with a, a few other things. Um, we do a lot of webinars, two specifically that have been uh, really uh, readily accepted by our audiences is our ethics webinars, which we're doing really every quarter. And we do more than a few in December. Uh, we uh, charge $50 for two hours, $35 for anybody listening. Um, you can email me. Uh, our next one coming up is October 25th. Plus, we have our IT auditing for non-IT auditors course, which has been extremely popular. We're running that in um, mid-December, mid, 
mid-December. Um, if you're interested in the book, if you email me, you can get them on Amazon, but if you're interested in a copy, um, email me and I can give you a discounted copy. And uh, we mentioned emotional intelligence. If you're interested in a free emotional intelligence self-assessment, um, it probably takes about five minutes. It's not going to be a full spectrum of emotional intelligence, but it's going to be a kind of a quick and dirty, here's where I stand. Um, send me an email and I can send you a copy of it because to me, IQ gets you the job, EQ gets you promoted. What's the email address? Um, you can email inquiry at goldsrd.com. That's G-O-L-D, S as in Sam, R as in Ricky, B as in david.com. Okay. And then we'll put, a, um, we'll put that in the show notes also. So if you didn't hear that or you're driving in the car right now, um, it's in the show notes for you. Danny, thank you very much. It was very informative. I appreciate your time. Enjoyed it, man. This was fun. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.